Welcome to Photo Mission Focus, discussing photography. Each episode, we discuss a different photography subject. With my co-host Terry, we just try to make sense of some of the things we love about photography and some of the things that we don't love as much. Come join us. Hi, welcome to this uh, episode of Photo Mission Focus. And you might notice that there's uh, a new guest co-host. Um, Cara Jane from Pixels and Spice Photography is joining me at the desk for the next couple of weeks and she'll be tackling some of the subjects that we'll be talking about while Terry's away interstate. So um, without further ado, let's welcome Cara Jane to Focus and let's get the conversation started and get this, epi- this week's episode rolling. Welcome to this edition of Photo Mission Focus. Um, Cara Jane's joining me again at the desk and today, Cara, we're talking about what lenses should I own? Yes, what lenses should we own, Stephen? <laughs> well, I think this is an interesting one because everyone who starts out quite often when they buy their first camera will come with a, typically a kit lens of some description. Mm-hmm. And I suppose we should maybe explain what a kit lens is. Mm. So it's kind of like a it's an entry level kind of try to do a bit of everything lens typically. Yeah, well, I um, if I talk about the, the first proper camera that I had but it was an entry-level DSLR um, it was a Canon Rebel range I got a um, I think it was an 18 to 35 uh, sorry was it 18 to 55 lens 55 is the common one yep. yeah yeah and then also a um, uh, what was my other one I think it was a 24 to 105 so that to me was quite like I was like wow you know to 105 like between 24 and 105 that's that's crazy because then my professional level cameras, I have a 50 mil prime and then I have just a 24 to 70. Yes. So the kit lenses does give you the 24 to the 105 or I've also seen, I think, 70 to 300 in the Canon kit lens range, Yeah, they do. They do. They do. Which a, is crazy. Yeah, they do. And they do They do a 55 to um, 250 as well in the yeah. kit lenses. So the idea of the kit lenses are they're, they're kind of a bit of a um, taste test mm. sample type lens that to get you started. Um, they're built to a price, so they're not obviously going to be the most sharpest lenses on the, on the street. Um, but interesting about people, you know, always ask about what lenses to buy and you, I think, got prime lenses and, mm-hmm. you know, prime is like a, your 50 mil that you've mm-hmm. got. That's a prime lens because it's, it's a fixed focal length. It does ever change. Mm-hmm. And one of the advantages why people have prime lenses, the prime lenses are incredibly sharp lenses. They're very, you know, they're very nice lenses. They're typically fast as well. I think you've got the 1.2 yes. mil. Yeah, the 1.2, yeah, LCS. So you get that really creamy bokeh mm-hmm. effect when you're shooting real shallow depth of field stuff, and that's why people like to buy like a 50 mil prime to use as a portrait lens. Mm-hmm. It is very, very beautiful <laughs> <laughs> when, when used correctly. Yeah, it is a good piece of glass. And um, I've also um, heard that it, the reason why primes are, um, I guess, a lot nicer or they, they have a prettier outcome it's actually just to do with the the mechanism in, inside so when you've got a zoom lens you've got all those different mechanisms inside of it that when you're zooming in and out all the all the um i don't know what the technical word <laughs> but all the bits inside of it are, are moving yes um and also then when the light comes through and when you have um your bokeh on the 50 mil they're, they're nice and circular and smooth but then on a zoom lens you'd still get your bokeh but it looks a little bit sharper, uh, yes, like yep. a, a little bit more jagged because yeah. of all the mechanisms inside of it. Is that correct? I think so. And that's why people do say typically that it's a creamy 
bugger yeah, because it's a smoother. It's, smooth. it's smoother on the edges and that. And and I think look the going back to um, I think the first thing that people do when they first get the camera and get the zoom lens, they go, this is great because I can do all these things. And as you start to learn um, more about photography, you start to understand a bit more about lenses. And you know some of the key points of lenses are obviously is the f-stop. What's mm-hmm. the lowest f-stop it'll go down to? So how much light will it let in? Mm-hmm. You know, you talked about your twenty-four to seventy, which is a two-point-eight lens. That's correct. Yes. So that's quite a fast lens, and that's a very popular mm-hmm. professional lens because it's it's fast and it does give you, you know, a good range of focal length to mm-hmm. be able to shoot. Um, but some people then turn around and say, you know, if you're shooting a lot of stuff, they'll go and buy a twenty-four mil prime lens to shoot that wide stuff. Mm. Um, just because the advantage is that, you know, prime lenses can give you that extra sharpness um, is usually, like I said, zoom lenses are, are kind of a compromise. And even though like the modern zoom lenses have actually got very, very good, you know, some of the some of the offerings now by some of the manufacturers, they're, they're, they're kind of rivaling, they're getting close to prime type performance. Okay, right. Yeah, so it's interesting. And that's just technology because obviously... And, and just a little bit of history about zoom lenses. It's interesting because I kind of thought that zoom lenses were a fairly new um, invention. Mm-hmm. But there was a, actually a patent done, I think it was in, in 19, um, 1902, there was a patent done for the first zoom lens. But it wasn't commercially made until 1932. Like So 1932, the first commercially produced zoom lens, and it was made for... Um, Bellenhow and Cook for their um, 35mm movie cameras. Wow. Which is interesting, and, and it was a 40 to 120. So okay. It's 40 at the bottom and 120 at the top end. And that's kind of interesting that back in 1932 that they had these zoom, but it was really for not for still photography, it was for, mm. for movie photography. Yeah. Before 1932, if it was that far away that you couldn't see it, it was staying that far away and you were not meant to see it. <laughs> well, that's right. Quite often, then, you know, the original cameras were pinhole cameras, which yeah. really actually didn't have a lens. They just had a pinhole. Yeah. I used one of them in my first semester at university doing black and white film processing and it was just a box and yes. you, your, your shutter was physically, you quickly opened up the shutter and you count one, two, three or however ne- long you need to expose for and then you quickly shut it and you can make pinhole cameras out of potatoes and yeah, all sorts use, of wonderful yeah. projects. You can make them out of anything. But yeah. I, think, I think so, look, when, when people are trying to decide what type of lenses to buy, the first question you have to ask yourself is what type of photography am I likely mm-hmm. to do? And, mm-hmm. and I know that you, you'd like to try some astrophotography. That's correct. I do not, I believe, have a lens that is accurate. So I, I know enough um, that uh, with astrophotography, I believe you need to have something that is quite quite fast, but so quite wide, quite yes. a low f-stop. But yep. um, I understand that you've you've looked into that a little bit. So yeah, I have what, what lenses do you have for that? So for astro, I've got a 14mm prime, which is a 2.8 lens. Okay. Um, so obviously being 14mm, and I shoot on a full frame, so it gives an incredibly wide um, field of view mm-hmm. through the camera, um, which you really need if you're trying to get the Milky Way or something like that. You know, when you point your 50 mil camera, 50 mil lens up to the sky and take a picture, you're not actually capturing much of the sky for 50 mil. Mm. So you know would I mean? you say in that case, not necessarily just astro, but landscape photographers, a lot of them do use quite a um, wide angle. Yeah, look, I think I think 24 is on a full frame is a very popular format for for landscape photographers. Okay. Because I think it keeps it, it keeps the landscape looking fairly 
um, you can compose it quite nicely for 24. Mm-hmm. And, and if I'm shooting landscape quite often, I'll be shooting for 20, 24, mm-hmm. but usually on a zoom. Um, I mean, I own a lot of different lenses and I use them for different purposes. Um, I mean, I find my most go-to lens for just walkabout street photography or general, you're going to a party or something, it's just casual, so you're not shooting anything kind of professionally, you just kind of go and take some pictures. I'll put my 24 to 105 lens on. Okay. Because it gives you 24, it gives you that nice wide, mm. 105 it gives you that little bit of reach to, to be able to maybe, you know, do a portrait and pull people in and that type of stuff yeah without being on top of them i'd say my my walkabout or my my workhorse lens is um it's the the longest one that i have but it's 24 to 70 yep. and um i do um as i mentioned like a lot of events so um not necessarily portraiture so to speak but i might just be a few meters away from from the you know main act or the main performance um or there might be like a group of people so i need i need something that does allow me to have a little bit of reach and a, a little bit of um a wide angle so i get you know perhaps most of the stage in yep but um, yeah, generally speaking, and this is across a few forums also that I chat on, the twenty-four to seventy is also a very, very popular um, lens. But you know, to be honest, if I if I had the option to start over and had the twenty-four to seventy, or sorry, did you say the twenty-four to one hundred five? Twenty-four to one hundred five. I would go the twenty-four to one hundred five as well because it just gives you that little yeah. extra reach. Yeah. The only the only downside of the twenty-four to one hundred five it's an f four. Okay. Oh, well, there you go. So it's yeah. not to build to build that lens. Just to, there's a lot of mechanics in lenses. Mm. And to build a 24 to 105 lens, it'd be quite a big, heavy lens. Um, anyone who's ever shot with, say, a 70 to 200 um, 2.8 lens will know it's a very heavy piece of glass to try and get. Mm-hmm. I do dream of owning a 70 to 200. Um, <laughs> I have, however, visualised that I'd probably need an assistant just to carry that lens for me while I carry everything else. I'm, I'm quite a, a small woman, so... I've seen the, you know, gorgeous telephoto lenses and, you know, their big white barrels and they, they are huge. And, yes, and, and heavy. And heavy. And I think for me as well, um, or for anyone that, you know, maybe has back or neck, you know, sensitivities or whatnot, um, or you're just not used to carrying a lot of weight around, that is an issue with a lot of photographers when it comes to the size of yes, a lens. Yeah. Um, but I do know that the the 70 to 200 is extraordinarily popular. Um, and I made some notes earlier that the, you know, the top five reasons why you should just own the 70 to 200, and this is clearly just someone's opinion, um, it was because you should just own it, period, was number one. Um, number two was that the 70 to 200 is an amazing portrait lens. Um, and they went on a little bit to talk about, um, first of all, it's a portrait length lens, meaning there's less distortion and general wonkiness when it comes to rendering um, lifelike portraits. Yep. Um, reason three also was it's um, a shiner at sports. Yes. Uh, reason four was it's great for weddings and events. And reason five was that it makes a great part-time wildlife lens. Yep. So there's quite a few reasons in there why the 70 to 200 seems to just be spectacular. But I also go back to um, the fact that it is a really large, heavy piece of equipment. So although it's amazing, it's also a little bit of a burden to have um, with you in your kit if you're just trying to do really light work. Yep. One of the, one of the things I love about the 70 to 200 is um, depth of field compression. Mm. So when you're shooting, say, a portrait, mm-hmm. so you're shooting using a lens at the long end, you kind of – it's virtually the – person's lifting 
off the background. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I love about shooting with a long lens. Like that's why a lot of people like to shoot portraits with it because that that great effect it does. But I think there's a there is a there is a um, trio set of lenses. People quite often own something like a sixteen to thirty five two point eight. You know, if someone said to me, "Okay, look, go out and you can buy his money's not an object," you'd walk in and you'd buy a sixteen to thirty five two point eight. 24 to 72.8 and the 7200 2.8 and if those three lenses you can you can cover a lot off at the at the 16 you can do astro of that mm-hmm. um, landscape astro that type of stuff the 24 to 70 great walkabout lens it's kind of within that that range and like you said you mentioned on there part-time sport you know the 200 end mm. and the other thing you can buy which is quite good these days you can buy a teleconverter for lenses so you can actually double the focal length or you can get a 1.4 or a two times converter wow okay so you put that on your lens between the lens between the camera and the lens and it basically either doubles or it increases the focal length by 1.4 factor okay so there are a few little gadgets out there to help you not having to double either the gear or the size of the gear that you own um, as you mentioned, the converter to, yeah. to help you out. Okay, well, that, that is really good to know because, I mean, that is something on my list that I would love to get. And um, I recently attended an event with the Canon Collective uh, and it was on a fashion shoot. And so I've rocked up with my my 24 to 70 and my 50 and everyone else has their gorgeous 70 to 200 <laughs> mil ones. And I was like, oh, no, we got this. And it was completely okay. But then seeing some of the output of the other um, photographers who were there and the, just that ability to, as you say, really have, um, you know, the ability to, to draw um, a standing portrait um, subject out of their background but also just to, to zoom in without being really in their face, face yeah. so to speak, which often creates a lot more natural um, uh, poses and reactions than I, I know when I've got my 50 on and people are like, oh, wow, you were like really close. <laughs> I have to know them quite well to get that close with the 50. Yeah. Um, so if we were to look at um, a different sort of genre, um, say, uh, you know, professional real estate photography yes. or interior photography, what would you recommend, Stephen? You, you want to go at the wide end. So yeah. so the if you're shooting on a full frame, that's when your 16 to 35 is going to be your friend. Okay. Because you're going to be able to shoot in those tight, you know, bathrooms and make it make the bathroom look amazingly mm-hmm. big. And everyone knows that real estate photos are either amazing or they lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, the camera never lies, they tell you, but you know, sometimes the camera does lie. Um, and I think, look, yeah, so if you're shooting real estate or something like that, having a wide – and the other thing too is like for the, to get the the, um, the the streetscape, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't want to really stand across the other side of the street so you can use your 50 mil mm-hmm. to get the whole house in because, you know, every time a car comes, oh, wait, or whatever – you know, having something a bit wider allows you to better stand on the, you know, footpath out the front and better capture the whole front of the house and see see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And like similarly, like if you you're shooting, say, um, if you're doing you know portrait type photography, um, you can use the the twenty four to seventy. But the other thing which is really well worth doing is buying a fifty mil prime. You're having at least, I always say to people it. It's well worth to own at least one prime lens. Mm-hmm. The Nifty Fifty, they call it. They call it the Nifty Fifty, <laughs> and they call it um, for that reason because it is a very cheap, inexpensive lens. In the in the, all the manufacturers typically do a one point eight, mm-hmm. so that's quite a fast lens. Mm-hmm. Gives that lovely bokeh effect. Um, can shoot in low light mm-hmm. with that that speed. Um, and like I said, 
You can pick them up for about 120 bucks. Like they're not expensive. Where are you picking those up from? <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if, you, if, you, if you search around, you'll find them out okay. there. Um, so, but um, and I own three prime lenses. Mm-hmm. So I've got the 14mm 2.8, I've got the 50mm 1.8, and I've got a 100 2.8. Okay. And the 100 is a macro lens, mm-hmm. but it's also a great portrait lens. I have as, heard that, yeah. Yes. So, and the other thing is too, like if you're deciding that you're going to shoot macro um, and you like to shoot that style of stuff, then you are better off to have a lens that's dedicated to shooting macro because mm-hmm. obviously you're going to get better results. Yeah, yeah. I know I've tried um, not having a macro lens. I've tried, um, you know, trying to just focus on something and it's never it's never really going to work out. Um, so yeah. so the 100mm macro is also on my list for portraiture but also to actually just dedicate the effort and the passion that should be dedicated to macro with a proper lens. And yeah, I think if, you, if you're going to invest in... In that style of lens, then probably you do want to shoot a fair bit of bit of um, you know macro to make it kind of worthwhile. Yeah, and that could be like product photography, yeah, product ring, photography. you know, rings, jewelry, yep. things like that. Stuff where you want to get close detail. You yeah. want to kind of you want to kind of fill the frame, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't have to be like you can fill the frame by cropping, but you know you might lose some quality. Mm-hmm. Um, if you got a macro lens, obviously you can shoot um, fill the frame up and get great detail. One of the challenges, but just remember with the macro lenses, is typically you end up with a very shallow depth of field. Mm-hmm. So positioning, um, and that's why there's a technique called focus stacking. I don't know if you've ever heard of that term before. I have, but let's explain it from your angle because I'll probably explain it incorrectly. <laughs> <laughs> so focus stacking is virtually when you take a picture of an object and you t- move the focal point throughout the object. So basically you're taking it and you're getting... Um, Images of the of the of different parts are in real high sharpness, mm. and then in post you stack the images together, and basically you're just keeping the sharpest pieces of each image. And when you put together, you see these amazing pictures of a bee that's got this amazing detail, and you can see every little mm. thing. And then the person will say, "Yeah, I stacked 150 images together." Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. So it's it's not quite uh, what do they call it HDR? No, it's not HDR no. because what HDR is looking at tonal. Yeah. changes to your tone that this is actually looking at what's in focus yeah so basically is you're shooting very shallow depth of field so there's small parts of the image in really sharp focus mm. and the rest of the image is, is is out of focus so you you've got to take enough segments it's like slices yeah. a bit like a um people have ever seen a ct scan mm-hmm. one of those scans where they kind of scan it through and they when they play it back, you can see the yeah the all, layers. All the slices and splices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, sim- it's similar to that. So, but so yeah. that person has a lot of patience and a lot of experience with Photoshop. Yeah, to yeah. Stack that many. And and quite often you do you do need some other equipment. Quite often people will have um, rigs that they'll set the camera up so they can move the camera very delicately away or to the object or whatever. So yeah, it takes mm. it takes a bit of practice. Mm. So if I was shopping, Stephen, and I was walking into a, um, a camera store and I was looking at um, a set of cameras, um, let's just say they were all the same focal length, whatever that may be, and, you know, they've got all the little um, numbers and letters on, on the lens. So we've, there's obviously like uh, USM, um, which is ultrasonic motor, and yep. um, IS for image stabilisation. So how much do you think we should or the average photographer pay to something like image stabilisation on a lens? Yeah, well, image stabilisation actually gives you extra um, ability to shoot in low light. So that 
the, the, the 24 to 105, the four lens I talked about, mm-hmm. that's got basically four stops of image stabilisation built in, which means you can shoot very, very – I mean, I can shoot down to about a sixth of a second handheld. Wow, that's good. And get a, a, get a sharp image. Yeah. <laughs> because the image stabilisation is actually steadying me, my hands to do mm-hmm. it. So it's quite worth it, particularly on the macro lens, the 100mm macro. You can get – typically most manufacturers have a different few different offerings, but there is an image stabilisation model. And typically, because macro, you've got this very shallow depth of field, so any movement is going to cause blur. Mm-hmm. So having image stabilisation is worth it. it, is, it you pay a bit for it. But it's well worth it. Okay, so if it's only a little bit of difference in the in the scale of cost, it is definitely worth it. Yeah, typically it is a little bit more expensive, but probably you'll you'll use that lens for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So you'll get you know a lot of use out of it. I know people who bought the non-stabilized versions and then gone off to regret when yeah. they actually maybe borrowed someone's and then saw the benefits. Yeah, I think with um, a lot of lenses as well, they're, like you have the option for the L-series lenses in the Canon range or you have the option just for the general range. And, uh, you know, there is a substantial difference in cost, but I think uh, personally if, if it was something to do with like shake, like you mentioned one-sixth of a second, you can do handheld, like that's, that's pretty impressive if yes. you've got that built in. And if you don't uh, in your photographic um, scenarios where you find yourself normally have the ability of a tripod or something to lean on, then I think reducing as much handheld shake um, as possible is incredibly important um, because no one likes blurry images. No, that's right. Look, and and one of the things people kind of forget to do sometimes in shooting in low light when they've got not a super fast lens is they try and keep the ISO down. Mm. You're better off actually pushing the ISO up and having a slightly grainy image but having a having a sharp image that's not blurry yeah yeah. that's more pleasing Mm. and you can live with a bit of noise in the image Mm -hmm, you can and also lightroom and the luminosity slider does wonders for your noise and grain (laughs) that's exactly so in post you can clean some of that noise up and 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 get it kind of a a much better uh, result so look just going back to kind of recap cara i think on on lenses that you know when you decide you know you're shooting stuff Draw yourself up a, a list of the things that you want to actually shoot and maybe try and then buy lenses that are actually going to be useful to you rather than think, oh, I might do this and buy that lens. And I mean, I've been guilty of that where I've got, you know, I've got some lenses and, you know, I've sold some lenses recently because I just didn't use it. Mm. I thought I was going to use it and I didn't use it, so I sold it. Um, crazy to have it sitting there. The other thing which I'd just like to really touch on with, with – because um, we're talking about lenses – is something that people do worry about is a thing called um, when you actually get a um, fungus growing in the lens. So lenses, if they're stored in a damp, dark place and you don't use it for a while, that can be really detrimental. So it's quite often people have old camera equipment that they you know, grandparents own and they pull it out and you have this, you look in, down the lens and you'll see all this kind of growth in there and that's what that is. It's, it's, a, it's a fungus. Mm. And for fungus to grow, it needs light, it needs darkness, and it needs moisture. So if you're storing your camera, and I know people like to put dust caps and things, you're actually better off to store your lenses with the, the in the light with the with the caps off. 
to okay. let light in. So to keep it warm and dry. Well, it's just that the fungus can't grow when there's mm. light and needs darkness. Oh yes, of course. That's why mushrooms. You know, they put them in the old railway tunnels and they block them off and they make them into mushroom farms. <laughs> Do they? So they need that darkness. <laughs> I've not heard that. Yeah, yeah. So um, the other thing which I really just want to quickly touch on too, which because we're talking lenses, is is the front of the lens. Mm-hmm. There's two camps. One is filter on the front for protection, and others no filter. I'm in the no filter. I don't have filters on the front of my lenses because I buy L series lenses. Um, I don't want to put something in front of it that's actually going to degrade, degrade it. Yeah. People do worry about damaging their lenses, and if you're worried about that, by all means, put a filter on it. Mm. There's no, there is no right or wrong one here. Like you know, if you put a filter on, that's fine. For me personally, I don't put filters on it, and I just try to be careful. You know, lenses that have lens hoods give you some protection from bumping into things. Yeah. See, it's interesting. I'm um I'm probably a little bit more in the other camp. Yes. <laughs> so a good debate. Um, but it's just just from practice. Yes, and and look, it, it's a great it's a great tool that camera shops will say you you buy your camera. Oh, you've got your new camera now. Mm. Oh, you need a lens to you need a filter to protect your lens. Yeah, like a UV filter or something yeah, on the to, front of to it. Sell it. Yeah. And look, and if, if that makes you happy. And makes you feel more comfortable with your gear. Put a filter on it. Yeah. Um, but just like I said, some people you'll see them. They'll go, no, no, don't ever put a filter. You're going to degrade the lens. Yeah. And actually, just quickly on filters before we do wrap that up, um, I did have a, a little um, thought just before we were talking about that. One thing that um, I didn't really realize until I started buying particularly more professional grade gear, and I do have ND filters, polarizers, um, I do have a UV filter just to protect the front of it at the moment, is that if you do go to um, buy a particular filter, just be aware that the diameter of your lens is actually different. Um, almost lens to lens. So, for example, um, I have filters for my 24 to 70, which I think is a 72 millimeter. Yep. And I was like, brilliant. I brought all these new Manfrotto lenses, which aren't cheap. And then one day I was like, oh, I'm just going to pop the polarizer on the 50 mil for whatever reason I was yes. outside. And then it didn't fit. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, hang on. And then I realized that my 50 millimeter was actually a 70 millimeter diameter. So just be really aware that if you are trying to accessorize with filters or anything else um, that clips onto the front of it, that your diameters of your lenses are different and you can just see what they are by looking at the, the rim on each lens. Um, but it can be very costly if you do decide to purchase something for one lens, but you've got this whole range, you might need um, adapter rings or all sorts of other things to make it um, universal across yep. your kit. And that's why some people like choose like the drop-in filter yeah because the, the yeah. holder will fit a multitude of lenses mm. and then the filter's actually quite big and drops in the front yeah a little bit more finicky because obviously you have to be careful if you drop that you know filter you'll destroy it mm-hmm. um but the screw-on ones like you said yes there's there is differences and like i said um um in some series like a lot of the canon l series use i think it's 77 okay so a lot of them are 77 but like you said you'll get then you'll have these different ones yeah so, yeah yeah because yeah. i've got 72 and 70 or maybe i've got a 77 i don't know i could do yeah i think i think you'll probably find it's a 77 77 maybe yeah, yeah yeah but anyway look i think it's been great chat with the lenses but i think look i said for anyone out there who's studying photography trying to work out what lenses to put in their kit think about the photography you want to do and then buy lenses that you're going to find are useful and there's plenty of like great forums and great resources on the on the web as well Thanks, Cara. Great. Thank you very much, Stephen. Catch you next time. See See ya. ya. Bye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of Photo Mission Focus, discussing photography. If you enjoyed the show today, please leave a comment. Or if you have a suggestion for a subject for our next show, also leave that in the comment as well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.